Did you bring your Bible with you tonight? Let's go once again to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. Sarah, can I have that water, please? I want to look again at 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you weren't with us last night, thank you. You're going to get caught up real quick here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 again says this. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. I don't want to say too much about this right here because this is kind of under a different topic, maybe a different direction. But I believe it is a lack of understanding of this principle found in this verse that has capped and limited a lot of church growth. Because you've got one generation looking at another, and perhaps it's the younger generation looking at the older one saying, it's my turn, it's my turn, it's my turn. One of these guys going to sit down, I'm done singing these old songs. What are you doing wearing a tie? Everybody wants to wear a short. You know what I'm saying? You got one generation critical of another. But then on the other side, you've got the older generation looking at the younger one going, what is up with your hair? What is up with your music? I wish things would just go back to the way they were. What's the deal with the, with the lights turned out and the screens? Why can't we just open the hymnals and can please somebody turn the lights on? And the problem is you've got two generations as opposed to submitting to one another. There's division between them. Am I talking to anybody in here tonight? Notice what he said. You can't live on one side of this verse and not the other. He said... You younger people, be submissive to your elders. And then he added this. And I said, he added this. Okay, elders, he added this. <laughs> I think a lot of elders would love it if that verse had just stopped right there. But he added this and said, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And then he said, be clothed with humility. How do we be submissive to one another? We recognize Jesus in each other. We recognize what each other brings to the table, what each one of us is bringing. There's an assignment on this generation to see something and live on a level that this world has not yet experienced in all of history past to this point. And every generation is a bridge from the one before to the one that's coming. I'll say that again. Every generation is a bridge from the one before to the one that's coming. None of us were created to stand alone. If you're part of a younger generation that's just ready to, to be done with the older generation, then you are missing. You're missing out on the gold. You're missing out on the wealth. You're missing out on the experience. You're missing out on the wisdom. And you are destined to repeat mistakes. Not only will you not succeed where they have succeeded, you will make mistakes where they have said, hey, we missed it here. Don't do what we did. You got to open your ears to that. But at the same time, there's something that, that, that a, a generation coming up under this elder generation, man, the only reason we have something to bring is because this elder generation put something in us. I'm not talking to anybody in here tonight. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that's in you by the laying on of my hands and the hands of the elders. So, again, not to go too far down this road, but the key to all of this is what we began to lay as a foundation tonight. Be clothed with humility. Just put on humility. Looking around this room tonight, I can see that everybody in attendance put something on tonight. Oh, except for that guy back there. 
Everybody turned around and looked to see the fake naked guy. I t- Listen, y'all, don't be looking at that. No, everybody in here put something on tonight. You went into that closet and you, some of you took not very much time. Uh, some of you took more than enough time. But the end result was you came out with something on, right? Well, you and I are to put on humility. And that's the exact same thing that Paul said by the Spirit of God in Ephesians and Colossians. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. The same way you put on clothes, you put him on. Now, the interesting thing about that is recognizing that to be conformed into the image of his son, to be transformed into that, that that word transformed means to have an outward appearance that resembles the inward nature. Does that make sense? To be transformed means to let what's inside come out. And when you put something other than the Lord Jesus on, when you put on pride, when you put on uh, anger, when you put on bitterness, when you put on offense, when you put on resentment, you've got that still small voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. It's a lot like uh, the voice, gentlemen, of your wife. Just gained a lot of points with the ladies right now. Listen, it's a lot like the voice of your wife. You went in to put something on and you came out And she said, she asked you this very important question. And she said, is that what you're going to wear? She said, is that what you're going to wear? In other words, that's not what you're going to (laughs) wear. And you've got that same, you've got that same kind voice. You've got that same compassionate voice on the inside that just as you're about to let fly, You know what I mean? Somebody has said something and done you wrong and you have worked up this comeback. You laid awake all last night thinking if they if I even get in the same room as this guy today, I'm going to tell him what I should have said yesterday, but couldn't think of it. But I got it now. (laughs) Is this anybody else but me? And you are just about to let that fly. You got that same small voice on the inside of you. And it's the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, "Um, is that what you're going to wear? Is that what you're going to put on tonight? Because that doesn't match. That does not match. It's like you coming out of that closet with a striped shirt and plaid shorts. Gentlemen, that does not match. Black socks with sandals and shorts. That does not match. All the lady said. Amen. And when you put on something Other than the Lord Jesus, you put on the nature of the flesh. You put on this carnal nature, and you're just about to let that fly. You've got the the precious, compassionate, non-condemning, non-judgmental voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Just just very simply asking you, is that what you're going to wear? Because that doesn't match. That doesn't match what's going on in here. Amen? That's why we are to be clothed with humility. Then he goes on and says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Even if you didn't know what all that meant, I bet you could come up with this conclusion. I just don't want to be resisted by God. 
A lot of people feel like they've dealt with rejection in some way or another, and rejection from, a, from another person, rejection from a boyfriend or a girlfriend or from a boss or from a team or whatever it is. But th this is on some other level entirely to be kept at arm's length from God. I don't want that in my life. Jesus came with the sole purpose of removing the distance between me and God. You look at that, the, the concept of the Old Testament sacrifice, and that word sacrifice and, and that concept of that, that was instituted because sin had gotten between God and man. And when they made that animal sacrifice, what that represented, that sin on that animal, that priest laid his hands on that animal, and that animal that was pure and white and spotless, there was an exchange that took place. This was all symbolic. There was an exchange that took place. You got his sinlessness, his purity, and that animal got all your junk, got all your sin. And then when they put that animal to death, they were in their heart putting to death the distance between them and God. Are you following that? Putting to death the distance between you and God. And Jesus came as that last and final sacrifice once and for all the Bible says and it's not by the blood of bulls and goats but by the blood of the Lamb of God the Lord Jesus Christ he killed the distance between us and God and because of that it is within the reborn nature every born-again child of God has this desire for closeness with their father. That's what you were created for, fellowship. And if you knew that and you experienced that, then you look at this and say, I don't want anything that causes God to have to remove himself from me. Which you can very clearly hear, see, that is pride. He goes on, he says, but God gives grace to the humble. Anybody interested in grace? Anybody interested in more grace? We said last night, James chapter four says, but he gives more grace. I want to hear you say it again. More grace. More grace. Say it again. More grace. more grace. If he's given more, I want more. We've got a little boy, Justice James, two years old. And I think that's one of his favorite words right now. More. <laughs> one more, daddy. One more. One more cookie. One more cookie, daddy. One more. One more. Actually, for a while, it was one more. And when we started saying, okay, one more, you know what he started saying? Two, <laughs> two. But you know what? If you find that there's something your father is given more of and you're interested in it, that's all you got to say. There's more grace, daddy. More grace, daddy. Oh, come on. I said more grace, daddy. And he's just giving it out. God gives more grace to who? To the humble. In light of that, verse six, therefore, humble yourselves. Makes sense, right? under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? Verse seven, here's the how. Casting all our care upon him for he cares for us. He cares for you. That is how you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Say amen if you believe this. Amen. You humble yourself by casting 
all of your burden, all of your worry, key word here, all of it, don't hang on to any of it, casting all of your care onto him. Let's establish this again tonight. If casting our care is humility, what is keeping the care? It's pride. It's pride. Now we can start to go on a little bit in this after laying the foundation last night. This foundation of finding the motivation for casting the care, it comes from this realization and this revelation, he cares for me. I'm going to cast my care on him because he cares for me. And the big reason you can't seem to shake the worry. Parents, the, the big reason you can't seem to get rid of the worried thoughts about your children. People who, who work in business environments, the, the reason you can't seem to shake that worried thought, is this my last day on the job? They're making layoffs, they're making cuts. I know I'm just the next to go. I know I'm the next to go. And you wake up with that and you carry that through the day and you go to bed with that. Can I tell you something? That is literally, physically making you sick. Did you know that? I was just studying this before uh, we came for this conference. You can look up, not, not even in the Bible, it's on the internet, <laughs> medical, journal, medical journals, find out what worry is doing to your body. It's, it's eating away at you. Have you ever said that before? Man, this thought, this fear, it just seems like it's eating away at me, just gnawing away at me. And if you were to look up the word worry, you'd find a bunch of definitions and most of them you'd go, yeah, I knew that, knew that, knew that, knew that. It just means to have your mind preoccupied. It means to, to have the peace of your mind disturbed and to be concerned or overly concerned. You knew that about worry, right? Can I give you a definition? This is an actual definition of the word worry that surprised me when I found it. To worry means to lacerate by biting. To lacerate by biting. What's interesting about that is if you were to just keep reading here for one more verse, verse eight, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may lacerate by biting. How does he do that? Worry. The cares of this life. The cares of this world. And we have not been as aggressive, as aggressively against worry as we've needed to be. The big revelation here begins with, I know how much he loves me. I cast my cares on him because I know how much he loves me. I started to say this to you a moment ago. Do you know why you can't seem to shake those thoughts, to shake those fears, to shake those worries? You lay there at night going, I want to sleep. I would love to go to sleep. I'm tired. And you're just laying there looking at that clock, watching minute after minute after minute after hour after hour go by, going, why can't I sleep? And that worry is keeping you awake. And I'm going to tell you the big reason. You have no idea how much you loved. You have no idea how much you are loved by your father and his son, Jesus. The big revelation is here. I will cast my cares on him the moment I realize how much he cares for me. And when I realize how much he cares for me, the devil 
who's walking around like a roaring lion. Not a roaring lion. He's just like one. He's not one. He's just acting like one. Seeking whom he may devour. He may not devour the one who knows how much they are loved. Say amen if you believe that. Somebody just say it. He loves me. Jesus loves me. My father loves me. Say this. I'm not just loved. I'm so loved. And I'm not just so loved. I'm so loved that he gave me Jesus. And meditating on that and meditating on it over and over, allowing that revelation of how much you love to grow on the inside of you. Talk about faith coming to all new high levels, higher than you ever thought possible. And you look at somebody and you look at what God's accomplished in their life and you think, man, that's just a, that guy's just got a lot of faith. That girl, she just got a lot of faith. You show me somebody who you supposedly have, who you think has a lot of faith, I'm going to show you somebody who knows how much they're loved. Amen? So let's add to this tonight. I told you last night that there's two ways to interpret this one statement, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And, the, and last night was the, the night we dealt, first of all, with casting our cares upon him because we know how much he loves us. But you can read it like this. Not only does he care for you, he cares for you. That makes sense? Not only does he care for you, he cares for you. In other words, Jesus will do the caring for you. Now, you're going to see tonight what I mean by this. But Jesus wants to do the caring for you. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. We spent some time looking at the words of Jesus last night. Let's look at them here again in Matthew chapter 6. Somebody say, I believe this. I believe this. Don't let me preach this by myself tonight. Y'all better get in this thing with me. Raise your hand if you're here. All right, prove it to me. Here we go, Matthew chapter 6. Let's look again at what Jesus said. Let's just begin in verse 25. Jesus is speaking. Who's speaking? Jesus. That, that must mean something to us. Therefore, Jesus said, I say to you, do not worry. Now, folks, I don't know if Jesus could have made it any more plain. Jesus said, I say to you, do not worry. Don't do it. Don't do it again for the rest of your life. Do not worry. And I think we've read that as, as though he said, try not to worry. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not even kind of what Jesus said. And I think we think we're doing something special when we're trying not to worry. But the command of the master the command of the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body of Christ said to you and to me, do not worry. It's the Weiss translation of the New Testament it says it like this. Stop worrying. That's really how you could translate that. Stop worrying. How did Jesus know all these people were worrying? Simple. Because that's what comes naturally. And people want to argue about it, argue with you about it. Say, well, it's not, you know, worry's fine. You just don't want to worry too much. After all, a little worry is just natural. That's exactly right. It's just natural. Since when are we interested in living a just natural life? 
I have no interest in that. I am called to the supernatural. I'm about to get preachy. But you are called to the supernatural life. There's a supernatural nature on the inside of you. It's the nature, it's the DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's in you right now. You've already got it right now. Wake up to what's already in you right now. And if Jesus said, don't worry, here's what's cool. With the command comes the grace to do what he told you to do. See, we don't understand that about the instructions of the Lord to us. And people are always thinking, I don't know what the deal is with this example, but it's, I don't want God to tell me to go to Africa. Look, I've been to Africa. It's awesome, y'all. If Jesus tells you to go to Africa, go. It's a great place. I love Africa. But I don't know what it is about that. What if he tells me to go to Africa? What if he tells me to go to China? What if he tells me to go to Toronto? Well, here's what's cool about that command. With the words that Jesus said, with the words that he's speaking to you, the moment he said, go, with the word go, came the grace to go. Are you with me? You remember that night the disciples were out on that boat and that boat was just going back and forth and Jesus saw them rowing hard. They were working hard. This is going to be important to us tonight. They were working hard, rowing against the waves, rowing against the wind. So what did he do? He just went walking out there to him. Hey, y'all, wait up. <laughs> Jesus went walking on the water out to these guys. And of course, some of them thought it was a ghost, you know, naturally. And uh, then Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come and I will come to you. And you look at what the Bible says. You know what Jesus said? He said this word, come, come. That's all he said. But with the word that Jesus spoke to him, came the grace to get out of the boat and walk on water like it was dirt or dry land. The word come, C-O-M-E or whatever, however you spell it in the language Jesus said it in, it literally became foundation under Peter's feet. That word and Peter's belief in that word became something to stand on. So if Jesus says to you, do not worry, you know right away, okay, he's already given me the grace to not worry. He's put that in me. I have within me right now the ability to cast this care and rise above it. Say amen. amen. Do not worry about your life, okay? Do not worry about what you'll eat, okay? Do not worry about what you'll drink. I will not worry about it. Nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. If Jesus tells you to look at the birds, look at the birds. All right? He's probably standing outside preaching this message. He says, look, look at these birds. Would you look at these birds? And what does he say? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You have never seen a bird flying fast trying to get somewhere to pay his bills. You've never seen a bird worried. You've never seen a bird pace back and forth. I got to get, I got to fly south. I got to fly south. I gotta, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? They want me to fly in front. Fly in front? They say, you fly in front. I don't want to fly in front. You have never seen a bird. These birds, they're not sowing. They're not reaping. They're not gathering into barns. In other words, they're not worried about it. 
And, and if you're in service with us tomorrow, then I'll give you a little preview. This is the statement we're going to focus on. Jesus said, are you not of more value than they? Big reason you can't shake that worry. You don't know what you're worth. Okay, come to church tomorrow. All right. <laughs> Verse 27, Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I don't know why he used that as an example. Can worry make you taller? <laughs> Can wishing you were taller make you taller? No. Anybody tried? Gail? I know you tried a little bit. So you, you, tried, you tried just a little bit. Jesus said in verse 28, So why do you worry about clothing? Is your... Is your worry about what you're going to wear going to help you find something to wear? Is worrying about the clothes on your back going to put clothes on your back? Has anybody ever stayed up all night worrying about something and the next morning it was fixed because you worried about it? <laughs> oh, man, I'm glad I didn't go to sleep last night. So thankful I worried over this. Look, look what my worry fixed. Nothing. <laughs> Why do you worry about clothing? Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. If Jesus tells you to look at the flowers, look at the flowers. He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. How they grow. So we're going to look at the flowers and we're going to find out how they grow. All right. Anybody interested in growth in your life? And now I'm not, I'm not back to the being taller thing. I'm talking about other kinds of growth, like growth spiritually, growth financially, growth, growth materially, growth in, in your soul, growth in your family, growth in your business, whatever it is, growth is a good thing, right? And Jesus said, look at these flowers and we're going to find out how they grow. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Isn't that interesting? He said, look how they grow. But to tell you how they grow, he had to tell you how they don't grow. Are you following me? Is this making sense to anybody? Should I preach it in tongues? Will that help it make more sense? <laughs> just, just try to stay on track with this. To, to get across to us how they grow, Jesus had to let us know how they don't grow. What's he saying? He said, he's saying this. This is, this is not how you're going to grow either. Thank you, Lord. There, there's some things here that I've never said before, so y'all help me say it. Help me get this out. Y'all be believing God with me. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Somebody say the word toil. Jesus said they grow, but it's not by toil. The word toil means to feel fatigue, to work hard, to labor, or to be wearied. Let me read that to you again. To, and this is the Bible definition of it. To feel fatigue, to work hard, to labor, and to be wearied. Now, without a show of hands, how many, <laughs> you could say, my picture is probably next to that definition in the dictionary. To feel fatigue, 
at the end of every day, just fatigued, just absolutely emptied out with just nothing left. To feel fatigued, to, to work hard, labor, to be wearied. I know you're hearing this going, isn't that just a good work ethic? But we got to come back to what Jesus said. He said they grow, but it's not by their toil. These flowers grow, but they ain't working to grow. Anybody, anybody ever walked up to a flower and just saw it straining, trying to grow? <laughs> Get down real close and listen, and you can just hear that flower going, <laughs> No. They're not toiling, nor are they spinning. I'm so glad he used that word spinning. I think that word spinning is a perfect characterization of so many people's lives. Spinning around and around and around on this treadmill of life, doing the same thing day after day after day. You go to bed, you get up, you go to work, you get mad, you come home, you yell at the kids, you put the kids in bed, you feel bad for you on the kids, you go to bed, you get back up, and you do it over and over. And it's just this spinning around and around and around. And we think that's called living. But Jesus said they're growing, but it's not by toil, and it's not by spinning. He said, I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Who cares about your clothes? I heard it. Somebody say it out loud. Who cares about your clothes? Jesus, Jesus does. Of course, that's, that's the title last night, this whole series, Who Cares? It's a good question. It's a good question that needs an answer. You as a born-again believer, a born-again, spirit-filled child of God, you need to know how to answer this question, who cares? And there's two right answers. The first one is, not me. I am casting all my care onto Him. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. And that's what Jesus said here. Other translations, you could look it up. In the New King James, it says, do not worry. Other translations say, Jesus said, take no thought. Take no anxious thought. You remember what the Spirit of God said through Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 4? He said, be anxious for how much? Somebody tell me. Nothing. Nothing. Let's just reestablish this tonight. If the Bible tells you not to do something and you go ahead and do it anyway, what's that called, boys and girls? Sin. Very good. It's called sin. And if the Bible said, be anxious for nothing, how much should you and I be anxious for? Nothing. nothing. If Jesus said, don't worry, how much worry should we allow in our lives? None. That's why Jesus said, take no anxious thought. Don't receive it. Don't take it. And you're sitting there thinking, you're telling me every time I have a worried thought, I'm sinning? No. Every time you receive that worried thought. But you can say out loud when those thoughts come, that's not my thought. That's not from God, and I do not receive it. You cast it down. Isn't that what 
2 Corinthians 10 told us to do, casting down every imagination. We're casting our care. We're casting down imaginations, bringing them into captivity. Come on, are you with me tonight? I'm not losing you, am I? All right. Jesus said they grow, but it's not by their toil. I want you to go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Let's spend some time talking about this a little bit. Matthew chapter 13. And when you find it, hold your place. <laughs> Let's go somewhere else. Genesis chapter 3. And I think we'll do this first and then Matthew 13 will make even more sense to us. Genesis chapter 3. Hold your place in Matthew. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I think I told you wrong. Hold your place in Genesis, and let's look at Matthew 13. And I think we can do it like this. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13. Thank you, Lord. I receive your help tonight. In Matthew chapter 13, you find what we call the parable of the sower. Does anybody remember this one? You see it also in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. And there's some real significant things in the parable of the sower. As a matter of fact, it's the first parable Jesus told. And after he told it, the disciples came to him and said, kind of privately, away from the crowd, they're like, um, what's up with the parable? Because Jesus stood up there and he said, a sower went out to sow. And he's talking to this big, big group of people, this big crowd that's come to hear Jesus preach, right? And he's going to start preaching to them, but he says this, a sower went out to sow. And behold, some of the seed fell on the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. And some seed fell on stony ground. And because there was not much earth, it did not take root, and it sprang up, and the sun scorched it, and it became unfruitful. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked the seed, and it too became unfruitful. And then he said, some seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And that was his message. And so the disciples are probably standing there going, mm, mm, this is good, yep, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, he's right, he's right, you know, yeah, this is good. And at the end of it, they come over to him, um, what was that? <laughs> All these people came to hear you preach. I mean, we appreciate the agricultural and farming <laughs> advice that you have just so graciously given to us, but what in the world was that? And listen to what Jesus said to him. He said, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand any? So there's something really key in there. And then he said this to them, now hear the parable. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. And now they're about to hear it. And he began to explain it to him, and he said, look, the sower sows the word. Somebody say, the word. word. That seed that he was talking about was the word of God. Now, if you think about what a miracle a seed is, everything in life is the miracle of a seed. You, in all your fullness and everything that you are, from head to toe, all the way around, up and down, you began as a seed. And everything that you are right now first existed as a seed. Now, I don't want to get into that whole process of how you <laughs> became. That, that's another service, and Ricardo's going to spend some time talking about that. But it's the miracle of the seed, right? 
And you go out and you look, I know you can go out to the West Coast of the United States and there are places in, in California, you could go out and look at these trees, these towering trees, 200 feet tall. And, and I don't know how many feet around it would take something like 60 people or something hand in hand to wrap all the way around this tree. And these trees, and they're huge. They are, they, they're just mind-boggling how big they are. But what's even more mind-boggling is that whole tree existed in a seed. That whole thing was in this seed, all of it. And even in the state of being a seed, it has the, poten- the poten- excuse me, potential of producing that whole tree. Well, the Word of God is a seed. The Bible says we were not born again by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. So everything that's in the Word, your salvation is in the Word, your healing is in the Word, your peace is in the Word, your joy is in the Word, your restoration, your redemption, your recovery, everything that you need is in the Word. And the Word is the seed that has the potential of reproducing all of that. You were born again by the seed of this incorruptible Word. But what's astounding to me is that Jesus said, The word got sown four times and it only worked once. It only worked once. Do you think that Jesus or your father in heaven is happy with those statistics? That the word in all its glory and all its potential and all its ability is only working in 25% of people? I don't think he's happy with that. If you had four kids, would you be fine and dandy if three of them were dying and going to hell, but you had one that's doing all right? No, not at all. And Jesus is saying, look, the word is being sown, but there's something that's keeping it from working in your life. And you could go, I mean, we could spend uh, entire services on each kind of ground here, but, but I want to draw your attention to what he said in the... 22nd verse, notice this. Jesus explaining this parable says, Now he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word. So everybody heard the word. But the one who heard it, received the seed among thorns, he heard the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, Mark chapter 4 adds, the lust of other things, they choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Do you notice that? Jesus is talking about thorns. Have you noticed, and I don't know if anybody in here is really into gardening. I'm really not into gardening. My mom was really into it. Therefore, there was a few years in junior high and high school that I was required to be really into it, but I'm no longer really into it. But what I can tell you, what I do know, is that nobody goes out and buys thorn seed. Do they? No. The reason you don't have to buy thorn seed is because the earth produces it for you. I'll prove that to you from Scripture here in a moment. But Jesus called these things thorns. What things? The cares. And this is what we're talking about. Who cares? The cares of this world. Jesus called them thorns. 
And he said, when the cares of this world, when they enter in, when you receive that, when you take that worried thought, it chokes the word. You want to know why the word has been limited in your life? You want to know why it's not producing what it's capable of reproducing? It's because of worry and care. I mean, have we ever really stopped and thought to put these things together? That me carrying my own care could possibly be what's preventing me from receiving my healing, from receiving my abundance, from receiving the peace that God has promised me through Jesus? Have I seriously put a limit and a cap? Have I limited God's ability in my life just by simply carrying my own care? The answer is yes. And Jesus called these cares thorns. Well, what is the cares of this world? You know what that is? That's you saying this over and over. What am I going to do? That's the cares of this world, isn't it? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You name the situation, you name whatever it is, if it's in your family, if it's on your job, wherever it is, whatever it is, something's going wrong and the immediate response is always this, what am I gonna do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What what are we gonna do? How are we gonna fix this? How am I going to fix this? And you sit at that table in your kitchen and it's dark all around you and it's husband and wife looking at each other with a stack of bills. They can't even see each other over this stack. And what are they saying to one another? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? They've got their baby lying up in bed, sick, and doctors can't figure out why. And what are they saying to each other? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? Now, here's the problem, and here's the trick of the enemy of your soul. It's to get you to think that sitting there worrying about it is you being responsible. It's to get you to think that sitting there worried about your baby is what makes you a good parent, but it's not. It's that worry and it's that care entering in that's choking the word. Are you with me? How did those flowers grow? Not by toil. How are you going to grow? Not by toil. I want you to go now to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to show you the first place these thorns ever showed up. Can you handle just a little bit more of this tonight? Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then God said to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you will eat of it. Do you notice that? In toil, you will eat. Toil was the first result of the curse. Everything up until that point had been grace, wasn't it? God just put Adam in this garden. He created this thing. 
that for all intents and purposes, he put you in the garden. He put you right there. And he said, look, everything you see, I did this for you. I, 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 spent, I spent the last few days working on all this. And, and, and you see this tree with this fruit and this one with this fruit. And you see these, and I did all of this for you. I love you. I love you. And you see this woman? Uh-huh. I did that for you. I love you. And he's taking him around and showing him what he can eat. and saying, it's yours. Just, just take it. My friends, that's what grace is. It's a gift. It's a free gift. And that's what the Garden of Eden was to Adam. It was a free gift. But the first result of sin in the earth was this toil. And now God said, cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you will eat of it. Used to, eating was a gift. Now it'll be by you working, feeling fatigued, laboring, and being weary. But if you want to eat, it's going to require you to toil. He went on to say, in toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles, it will bring forth for you. Didn't I tell you a moment ago, nobody buys thorn seeds? Why? Because the earth does it. The earth does it. It's natural. Let me say it again. It's natural. It's natural. And when Jesus said the cares of this world entering in, those are thorns. Isn't that what people say? It's only natural to worry. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's only natural. And you don't even have to try to worry, do you? Has anybody ever tried to worry? You had a beautiful day. It was a beautiful Saturday and you did nothing but what you wanted to all day long. And it, when the sun was shining and it was well above freezing outside, you know, that day of the year here. And you just enjoyed that day and there was nothing but peace all day long. And you got to the end of the day and just before you turned out the light, you realized, I have not worried all day. <laughs> okay, before I, need, before I go to sleep tonight, I need to worry just a little while. What am I going to worry about? Let me think. Got to make it a good worry. Has anybody ever done that? No, you've never had to try to worry. Why? Because it's natural. The nature of the flesh will do it for you. He said, both thorns and thistles, it will bring forth for you and you will eat the herb of the field, verse 19, in the sweat of your face, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. God looks at Adam and said, in the sweat of your face, in your toil. And don't you know, Adam just looked back at God and said, what's sweat? I'm serious, what's sweat? He never sweat for anything in his life. Never sweat for a thing, never toiled for anything. Can you see that this is, this is going to be a new way of living? 
Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you will eat of it. What's interesting in the Old Testament, you find this word toil, and it's the same word as sorrow. Same word as sorrow. The book of Proverbs, I think it's chapter 10, it says this, the blessing of the Lord will make rich, and it adds no sorrow. Other translations say it adds no toil with it. You may not have expected to hear this in church tonight, but there's a lot of ways to get rich, y'all. There are a lot of ways to get rich, a lot of ways to be wealthy, a lot of ways to have a lot of stuff, but all of them except one will add toil and sorrow to your life. There's a lot of rich people that did not get rich with or by God that did not get rich with or by biblical principles. They got, that, they got to that place, just hard work. You listen to them tell their stories. And they says, just hard work. I just, just hard work. I failed over and over, but I just kept getting back up. Can I tell you something? Be careful what you let inspire you. Be careful, be watchful over what you allow to inspire you. Because when you allow somebody's success story that's all about them failing, then getting back up, and then failing and getting back up, and then failing and getting back up, hey, they got where they are, that's great, whatever. But can you see the sorrow that was added all along the way? Be watchful over what you let inspire you. Failed marriages, infidelity, lost everything, got it all back, lost it all again. Can you see the sorrow that's being added to it? Hey, there's a lot of ways to get healed, aren't there? We got medicine for everything now, baby. You can take something for anything you got. And there are a lot of ways to get healed, but all but one of them will add sorrow to you. Just watch the advertisement, right? You got a headache? Okay, we'll take this, but be careful and don't drive while you're taking it. <laughs> and don't operate heavy machinery. And some of the side effects are you're not going to sleep for the next week. And you might develop a stomach problem. And in some rare cases, you'll have dry mouth and insomnia. And in even rare cases, death. <laughs> it'll heal you, but it'll add some sorrow along the way. But there's only one way that adds no sorrow. There's only one way that adds no toil. Now, now let me just jump ahead and say this. What I believe Jesus is communicating to us in this passage in Matthew 13, he's introducing this day of grace. He's saying the seed of the word, the seed of grace being sown in your life will not be cultivated along you, alongside you working for it. The seed of grace cannot grow at the same time as you trying to earn something from God. You cannot toil enough for salvation. Can you? Why? It's a free gift. It was a free gift called grace, and your toil could not earn it, cannot earn it. And in the same way, your healing is a gift called grace. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You could not earn the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It was a gift called grace. 
You cannot earn the peace that Jesus came to bring. Why? Because it's a gift called grace. You couldn't earn your salvation. You couldn't earn the spirit. You can't earn peace. You can't earn joy. Can I ask you a question? Why are you trying to earn a living? Now watch out. I did not tell you to quit your job. <laughs> Stay with me on this. But you cannot toil for what only grace can provide. You cannot toil for what only grace can provide. Thank you, Lord. Say amen if you believe this. Okay, Jesus, now where? Oh, we can go a few directions here, but I want to make sure it's the right place. Thank you, Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just, just a little bit more? Just, just a little? Just a little? Okay. 1 Corinthians 15. Wrong. Luke chapter 5. Go there. I think the Lord just wants to see if I am humble enough to correct myself after I say something out loud. I got no pride. Please. Are you kidding? Have you seen this jacket I'm wearing? I got no pride. Luke chapter 5, Luke 5, and we'll get to 1 Corinthians 15 sometime tonight. Oh, thank you, Lord. Verse 3, then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night long and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, he may not have known much, but he knew enough. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. What was his response? I've been working all night. Do you think this definition would describe Peter to feel fatigued, work hard, labor, and be weary? And if you caught nothing, I think sorrow would be an, a, a, an accurate description too. Weary, uh, worrisome labor. That's how the Old Testament defines toil and sorrow. Worrisome labor. Painful, grievous labor. When you toil and work and sweat all night long and come home with nothing, that is worrisome, painful, grievous labor. I want you to just get the image. I want you to get an understanding of the condition Peter was in. Now, of course, you know the rest of the story, but just stop for a moment. I want you to get an idea of the condition he's in here. I've been working all night long. I have toiled all night long. Now, hold your place here. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. We may, we're going to come back to this. We won't leave Peter there by himself. 1 Corinthians. Like I said, there, this is, we're putting some things together tonight in a way I never have before and just endeavoring to be led by the Holy Spirit here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do you mind if we just stop and praise the Lord for a moment? I, I, I just want to make sure this is exactly right, guys. I, I, thank you, Lord. How many of you know there's a lot of things that could be said? But there's usually just one right thing. 
And I want to do the same thing Jesus did and just say what the Father's saying. We're, we're almost done. Father, we worship you. Just praise the Lord with me for a moment. Father, we worship you and we praise you. Lord, I know that this is important. I know that this is significant to our lives. And I yield myself to you, Lord, to say it exactly the way it needs to be said. Thank you, Lord. 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 Now, you know the rest of that story in Luke chapter 5. Peter said, we've been toiling all night, but caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And you know what happened. They went out and they caught so many fish that it started breaking the nets and sinking the boats. You would think that God would know when to stop. Don't break the nets, Jesus. Don't sink the boats. <laughs> what was the difference? Peter had toiled all night. But this time, he's got grace in the boat. He's got grace himself in the boat. In other words, watch this. He's not the one toiling anymore. There's someone else in the boat doing the toiling. Casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Are you with me? Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9. Paul writing, he says, I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Somebody tell me who gets the grace. Oh, come on. We started this whole thing with it. Who gets the grace? The humble. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Notice this next statement. But I labored. I labored. It's the same word. Look this word labor up. You know what you're going to find? Toil. Paul said, I labored. I toiled more abundantly than they all. They all who? All the apostles. All of them put together. Paul's going, I'm working harder than anybody. Maybe that's the description of you as well. You're looking around in life and it seems like nobody else is doing anything and you're doing all of it. I labored more abundantly than they all. I've toiled more than anybody. And you look at the man's life and you think, yeah, you know what? He's probably right. He's preaching. He's traveling. He's in boats when he's not in a boat. He's in a boat wreck, <laughs> bobbing up and down in the middle of the sea. And when he's not bobbing up and down, he's washed on shore, getting bit by snakes, staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> and he goes to the next church and he preaches, 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 preaches. And the whole time he's preaching at that church, he's got this other church in his heart. And he's ta he talks about how much, how strongly he loved them. I mean, he labored more abundantly than they all. And this would be confusing. 
In light of what we're talking about tonight, in light of casting the care, this would be confusing if it weren't for these three words that he added next. I labored more abundantly than they all, but everybody say these words with me. Yet not I. Oh, come on. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. These three words, I believe, define the life and the ministry of Paul, and they can and should define your life too. Let these three words be the definition of who you and I are. Yet not I. That should explain your whole life. Paul says, you know what I am? Somebody comes in and says, Paul, you're working hard. He says, you know what I am? I am working hard. I'm working harder than hard. I have labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. Yet not I. Watch this. If it's not Paul laboring, then who is it? Yet not I, but the grace. The grace. I'm not the one working. The grace is the one working in me. Do you see this? I labored, I toiled more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Are you getting this tonight? Grace will do the toiling for you. Oh, say amen. Is somebody getting it? I'm going to say this till you get it tonight. Grace wants to do the toiling for you. Quickly, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. I'm getting excited. Galatians chapter 2. Look at this. Verse 20. Paul, once again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is... No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What does the King James say? I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ is living in me. What does he say? I'm alive. I'm living, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. I believe the King James brings those three words to the, to the surface again. Yet not Ah, you can tell Paul has to use these words just to try to get across to people what's going on in his life. And he says, I'm crucified, but I'm alive. But really, I'm not alive because I'm dead, but I am alive. Yet it's not me who's alive. It's Jesus who's alive in me. Somebody say, yet not I. But Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Oh, there's that big revelation again. He loves me. He loves me. He loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Other translations say it like this. I refuse to frustrate the grace. I refuse to frustrate the grace. Isn't it frustrating when you watch somebody try to do what you're good at, isn't that frustrating? You're watching somebody fumble around and make a mess out of something, whatever it is, something that you're good at. Whatever it is, being creative in the arts or even technical or whatever, something that you're really good at. Young people, young people. Do you remember the first time your parents held an iPhone? <laughs> They're looking at this smartphone going, 
this is a phone? Where are the buttons? And they're trying to manage their way around it, and, and they, you know, they're moving their glasses up and down, trying to figure which way looks the best, and it's like, how do I, how do, hello, hello, and they're knocking on it, and it's just, it's so frustrating watching somebody try to do it. And it's like you and I, we were born knowing how, right? My son, two years old, you should watch him, Ricardo's my witness. This child can navigate an iPad. Just open it right up, go to the video he wants, turn it up, turn it down, switch the video. He's just born knowing how. And it's frustrating to watch somebody else try to do what you're good at. Right? There comes a point where you just want to push them aside and say, please let me do this for you. Just please allow me. I don't want, I don't want you to pay me. Payment is you stopping. That is payment enough. Allow me to do this for you. Please, dear Lord, give this to me. Right? And whatever it is. I don't care what it is, watching somebody try to figure out a computer, watching somebody try to play the guitar, and you're good at it, but they're starting out, and it's just like, I just want to show you where your fingers go and don't go, and, 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 and no, you don't pour water in that hole, and it's just you want to. It's frustrating, right? Grace is a professional caretaker. Grace is a professional care remover, care carrier. Grace will labor. Do you know how frustrated Grace has been watching you toil, watching you labor, all the while standing there right next to you saying, just please give this to me. Would you please just give me the care of this? Would you please just cast the care of this over onto me? I can carry it. I'm strong enough. You're not strong enough. And this whole thing started back in 1 Peter 5. God resists the proud. You cannot get any more prideful than to look back at God and Jesus and grace himself standing there saying to you, give me the care of this. I can take it. And you look at him and you say, I got this. Isn't that prideful? Just those words right there. I got this. I got this. But you living with the worry that you've been living with, allowing that to continue in your life, that is you saying to God, I got this. And all the while, grace is a professional care taker. Grace will do the toiling for you. See, Peter had toiled all night long, but when grace got in the boat, grace started doing the toiling for him. Now, if you were to look at Peter and all his buddies, they're hauling in fish, just one right after the other, and there's hundreds of fish, and you might look at him going, man, that guy's working hard, right? But do you think he got back on the shore that day and said, Man, I hate my job. No. That was the easiest day's work he's ever had. That was the easiest day's work he's ever had. Why? Because Grace caught all those fish. Grace is a professional fisherman, evidently. Who knew? But I'll tell you what happened. 
the earth had been cursed. But the blessing came back. You remember what the blessing was? The very first thing God ever said to Adam? Have dominion over the fish of the sea. The man with dominion got in the boat. And he took his dominion over the fish of the sea. And he began to toil on Peter's behalf. And he will toil on your behalf. He will work on your behalf. And you're thinking, well, if, if Jesus is doing all this work, what's left for me to do? Hebrews chapter 4. Don't turn there. Just listen to this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to labor, to enter in to the rest. Grace is working. I am resting. Our labor, our diligence is to enter into the rest of God. Our diligence is to enter into that finished work of Jesus. The Bible says that you and I have been seated with him. That's a picture of rest. You have been given a seat. Somebody says, well, what about the fight of faith? Can I tell you what the fight of faith is? It is your fight to remain at rest. <laughs> Unwilling to let any worry, care, or wait pull you out of this place of rest. You remember what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Remember what toil means? To be wearied? Come to me, Jesus said. And then what he say? I will give you rest. Listen to it out of the message translation. Jesus says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Thank you, Lord. Can we take our resting place tonight? I want grace working for me. I want grace working on my behalf. People look at Jeremy and Sarah and say, man, you guys are working. You're traveling. You're in Canada. You just got back from Africa. You're traveling and going and preaching. And you guys are working hard. And you know what we would say? We say, yeah, you know what? We're working hard. Yet not us. It's the grace in us. I said, it's the grace in us. You're on that job, but not to toil for money. You're on that job because grace has an assignment for you and you bring something to the table. And what comes to you as a result of that, that money coming into you, that's grace. That's the grace of God. Well, I earned it, okay? Well, if it's about what you've earned, then you're limited right there. And you'll never have any more than that. But if you quit thinking and talking like that and let it become about the grace working in you, there's no limit 
to the abundance God can bring into your life. Thank you, Jesus. Stand on your feet with me.